1: Um, the barrio assemblies and these like you know grassroots neighborhood organizations a lot of these were sponsored by the church what does it mean to say that the christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there um you're always uh being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects
0: welcome to the magnificast a podcast about christianity and leftist politics i'm Matt bernico and i teach media studies at greenville university in greenville illinois
2: I'm Dean Detloff, I'm a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. Uh this week we are just pulling together some really wild uh takes on the internet that we found this week uh from various sources. Um it's kind of a a, a quick week for us in our personal lives, so we figured, you know, instead of doing a ton of homework like we always do, we'd just take a moment to uh, shoot the breeze, um see who we can dunk on a little. Uh, But before we do that, uh, Matt, I understand you've got a a Reddit treasure, and I also found a Reddit treasure. So why don't you go first?
0: Yeah. Um, Okay, so here you go. This is going to be a controversial one, I think. But um, it's important. So uh, on Reddit 27 days ago, um, this question was asked, is there an afterlife for the animals? is there an afterlife for the animals do animals have souls and more specifically cats cats and dogs that have been loved by their owners (laughs) (laughs) sanctified through their owner's love i love that yeah i think it's pretty great um it's really funny it's like well you know is there an afterlife for animals do animals have souls but specifically cats and dogs have been loved by their owners like uh you know uh foreclosing on the the final destinies <laughs> of all those other animals who haven't been loved by their owners.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh two things come to mind for me. The first is all dogs go to heaven I've seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Saw that documentary. Right. So, so and they true. even made a sequel to it. Yeah. So it's obviously true. Um the second though, if if cats, let's say, who aren't loved by their owners don't go to heaven, I feel like Christians suddenly have a very overwhelming missional duty to find a lot of cats to love really quickly. Otherwise, we're willfully consigning them to hell.
0: I think it's important to get more cats in your life. Or dogs. I think that's true. Dogs are great, too. I like them both. Uh, you know, love all your animals out there and get them, get them into heaven through your love. Um <laughs> Is how this one works? Okay, here's a quick uh, answer to this question that somebody else on Reddit gave. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Okay, so uh, another user comments and says, most likely not, but at least we have our memories of our beloved pets. And then the <laughs> the OP says, but I don't like the idea that animals don't live forever. <laughs> oh, and then they continue on. So if I don't like it, it means that this idea is not from God so (laughs) clearly so
2: i think so i think that's right that is how i construct my theology personally i gotta
0: tell you i also don't like the idea that animals don't live forever um (laughs) so i don't i mean it's obviously not from god
2: yeah i mean when i was a kid we took our dogs to get a blessing at church that's the thing that catholics do um though hilariously we left the cats at home because we couldn't get them into the carrier so, uh, I don't know. There's too many contingencies involved here. I feel like it's all or nothing. Either all the all the good, good pets and the rest of their friends, uh, the rest of the animals in the world, go to heaven or none of them do. They just disappear.
0: Think about all the cows that are going to be pissed off when they're in heaven because <laughs> you've eaten them.
2: You are responsible for killing them. Oh, gosh. Cow heaven is a very vindictive place i don't care what they say about redemption and you know uh writing all those wrongs and wiping away all those tears there's just a whole mess of very angry bovines waiting for their for their just just rewards i actually i feel like in cow religion all humans for sure go to hell
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense to me uh hey beef and dairy network if you're out there listening get us and we're gonna do an episode (laughs) for you just uh tm but we'll work with you on this if you want to collab yeah
2: yeah 100 percent um all right well let me throw this one at you um <clears throat> the question is very simple but there are some good responses and i'll let you give your own before i read a few of these but the question is simply are ghosts demons in disguise <laughs> no no further details
1: huh yeah
0: yeah are ghosts demons but in disguise
2: yeah i mean i think that makes
0: a lot of sense that's why they have that white sheet over them right because like if they just looked like if they didn't have that white that white ghostly scooby doo sheet on them then you'd know they're demons right away but they wear the sheet so you don't know that they're secretly demons i think that makes sense yeah
2: to me. i think that's right and also because demons are so short they need to be several demons high in order to wear that white sheet in the first place so you can get more demons in a room uh, as one ghost than you could if just discrete demons came into a room that's
0: true and uh as uh, thomas aquinas said in the summa theologica uh two demons equal one ghost right because they have to stand each other's shoulders <laughs> usually at least yeah that's right depending on how tall they are
2: yeah well th- th- those are medieval demons too i mean these modern demons uh they're so lazy you can't get them to do anything you need at least three or four just to just to create a demon pile on the bottom and then you can stack the rest on top Yeah, that makes sense to me so what are the all these mo- are...
0: millennial demons what did the uh, the great users at Reddit.com have to say about this?
2: Yeah, um, there are several really good ones, but I'm going to start out strong. Uh, this one is, if ghosts were real, they'd be naked, since clothes aren't supernatural. Doesn't exactly address the question of whether or not ghosts are demons in disguise, but it does introduce a new kind of uh, more interesting angle on the question, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to kill your clothes before you die. That's kind of like a part of it.
2: Yeah, yeah uh here's a few more um the bible's silent on the matter except for this when we die our spirits go directly to wherever they're supposed to go either torments or paradise so if and this is a big if there are legitimate cases where people are seeing quote ghosts they aren't seeing dead human spirits so some other form of spiritual being would have to be the case either demon or angel
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense that's like some pretty sound theology right there actually you know the weird thing about ghosts is that people okay i watched a lot of ghost content in my day-to-day life uh um, that's why i asked you it's yeah, an expert opinion well, i appreciate that um the thing that is weird about all this ghost content is that people are like oh man do ghosts exist or not and it's crazy because if you if you think that they do exist then the, like the more astounding thing isn't that ghosts exist but that people don't ever die and they just wander around Earth forever and i think that's like <laughs> the part that people miss um that i think ghosts, you're right if ghosts exist
2: they're just wandering around naked all the time <laughs> uh well let me read a few more because uh this is a good um a good way to segue into a few few others uh here's one um yes ghosts are demons in disguise. there are no ghosts or spirits or dead people walking about all these are demons out to fool people into trusting or believing in something other than the truth and then the op says so that's why they go into abandoned or old places question mark and this person replies if you go there hoping to find a ghost yes <laughs> that's what they <laughs> I love
0: this. It's like well, that's where they know that you're going to go looking for them, so that's where they're going to hang out.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it all depends on the intent. Uh whoever's looking for them, that's where you'll find them. <laughs> uh a, c- a couple other good ones. Here's one. Um no uh demons um were never human, so they can't be ghosts in disguise. And uh well, the uh missing the point. Yeah. It is. Uh that hence the OP says that's why I said disguise, to which this person just says in all caps, no. <laughs>
0: That's pretty good. Uh, hey, uh, so Dean, if you were a demon, just speaking hypothetically here, what would your disguise mm-hmm. look like?
2: Yeah, I think it would really depend on where uh, where people were looking to find the ghost. First of all, that if makes they're looking in an sense. abandoned or old place, I mean, I'm going to look different than if they're looking for me in you know whatever right. some
0: rich hoity-toity beach house. Exactly. Right. You don't want to haunt a big mansion looking like an old coal miner. That doesn't make any sense. People would be like, "What are you doing here? You're not scared Yeah. Exactly exactly uh
2: i do like beach house ghosts though now that i think about it just a, a bucket hat full of uh, fish hooks well i guess the, the question really comes down to whether or not i'm allowed to have ghost clothes
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh dean can we make a pact right now that uh when one of us dies the other will go and kill the other person's clothes so that we can wear them in yes the life
2: yeah i promise i promise 100 percent. it's on record <sighs> thanks Uh, and I want to read just this very, very last response and we can move on. Um, I think not only are ghosts demons in disguise, but aliens are also demons in disguise. Okay.
0: I like this. This is opening up the universe a little bit more for us to play in here. Um, Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah. You know, there's actually, um, well, there's a lot of uh, okay. So I watch a lot of ghost content. I can also consume a lot of alien content as well. And there's a lot of um alien content that posits uh, that angels are actually uh, or I'm sorry, aliens are actually angels. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is just the opposite. <laughs> That's
2: right. So now we got it. Uh, the ghosts are demons. Aliens are angels. Uh, it all it's all slowly coming together. The question is, what are these other kind of cryptids? You know, Bigfoot, Big feet. What are they? Yeah, vampires i thought you're saying uh big feet are vampires uh just mixing crossing all the streams here no i'm
0: just saying like uh a bigfoot a vampire a mummy like what kind of sort of theological uh correlations do they have as well because it seems like yeah yes they're all i mean like they're all demons i guess um i don't think bigfoot is a demon though because bigfoot seems pretty chill he loves that beef jerky. He loves. He gets,
2: de- he gets demon rage for beef jerky, if the, <laughs> if the commercials are to be believed.
0: He's not hungry for human flesh, just for that beef jerky, that Jack Links.
2: <laughs> he will commit some heavenly crimes for that beef jerky. All right, uh, speaking of beef jerky, <laughs> here's a great transition into our first uh, article that we want to talk about this week. Uh, what if Jesus returns while you're loafing at work, is the title. By one Reverend Ben Johnson, uh, just my least favorite Orthodox priest, it turns out. Um, And I love this question. What if Jesus returns while you're just eating one of them sweet, sweet smoky jack links at work?
0: You're taking a quick break, and you're loafing, and then all of a sudden you turn around, and Jesus is there. And he's like, listen, you're going to go to cow heaven next. (laughs) (laughs) If you know what I mean. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Okay. What a euphemism. uh, Yeah. I mean, a while back, we had a really good and strong... um, rivalry one-sided rivalry with Joe Carter but um now we got it going (laughs) on here with Rev Reverend Ben Johnson who has been posting a lot on the Acton Institute website um so
2: yeah, what would happen? Hang on, hang on, yeah. just back up. I love that you say uh, posting a lot on the Acton Institute website because it is actually just basically a, a, a one-sided Reddit Reddit blog. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, the the por-
0: the portion of the Acton Institute website this comes from is their power blog, which I imagine requires <laughs> no editorial sort of oversight. <laughs>
2: they they receive the power from a lot of uh, horrifying sources, just the the overtaxed work of children, child energy. That's the power of the power blog. <laughs>
0: That's right. What if the Just
2: be the, that's that's a callback to that one time that they defended child labor.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Well so Reverend Ben Johnson, he wants us to consider um all that time we spend at work not working. Boy, is that a problem, Reverend Jen Ben Johnson thinks. I almost said, I almost said Reverend Jen Bonson, and I think that's good.
2: <laughs> Let's keep that going.
0: Yeah, yeah, Jen Bonson indeed. <laughs> so, okay, uh, he starts off this article making a really dumb argument, and then finishes the argue or finishes the article making an equally dumb argument. So basically, he's like, uh, you know, in the Bible, where it's like, um, Jesus is going to come when you least expect it um and uh you might think that's like in the middle of the night or something because that's how the parable goes um but uh jen ronson says but suppose jesus did not come at midnight. imagine christ came back in the middle of a weekday afternoon for most of us that would mean that jesus christ would return while we're at work and that could be the most fearful thing indeed (laughs) multiple studies (laughs) not now yeah sorry (laughs) um multiple studies show I don't know which studies, just multiple of them. They show that if Christ wanted to return when they are paying no attention or (laughs) virtually asleep on their feet, the workday would be the ideal time. Okay, so this is, um, you see where this is going already. Um, You want to be a virtuous worker. You don't want to be wasting your time on the clock because Jesus could come back at any moment and he'd be like, Jeremy, why aren't you answering these dang (laughs)
2: emails? You're going to hell. And, and then jeremy quit playing angry birds i'm taking you to cow heaven <laughs> jeremy the worker would be like okay jesus i'm already in hell though um <laughs> i love multiple studies though so great because uh i get the point that he's trying to make but i just love the idea of like a bunch of social scientists being like all right now what would be the optimal time for christ to return while we're not paying attention <laughs> they're all sweating over a table with protractors and <laughs> compasses and they're just trying to figure it out <laughs> um, oh dang! Hold on, I just figured out the whole loophole oh, to this entire article. Please, uh, so Reverend Jed Bonson just really saved me. I think at the at the final hour because now I expect that Jesus will come when I'm wasting my time at work. Nailed it. <laughs> so now he won't. He can't come. Thank you, Reverend Ben.
0: <laughs> he can't, Jesus can't come when you think he might. Um, so that's the important part.
2: Well, I'm gonna have to get me some other time.
0: Yeah. Kind of playing around my schedule of expectations. So Reverend Ben Johnson goes on to say some really important statistics that we all should really consider. Uh, He says the average American wastes 21.8 hours a week at work. More than half of the work week, he says. Researchers found the top five ways employees waste time at work are personal email use, social networks, (laughs) sports sites, mobile games, and online shopping. Employees spend a full 56 minutes each day by using their mobile devices for non-work activities. Um, According to a survey from something called office team, (laughs) I don't know who they are either, but this is, this is where Ben Johnson's coming from. So um, yeah, uh, that's kind of the point. Like he thinks that we should be uh, better workers because it will honor the Lord. He concludes his article by making um, one final, like, push for us to be better workers. Um, So all of this means that the way we conduct our business life affects our eternal life. Whether we are honest, industrious, conscientious, or slothful at work cannot be separated from our souls in a perfectly (laughs) compartmentalized life.
2: Oh, no, I've got bad news for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) To be caught by the bridegroom while plugging along half-heartedly at work may mean being taken to our final judgment in sin. God intends our diligent labor to prove fruitful for trade, to scatter the gifts he has given each region, and from honest relationships in the marketplace to forge bonds of peace between neighbors and nations. May the Lord find us watching and heeding his commandments whenever he comes even if it blindsides us at 4 p.m. on a Tuesday. (laughs) So I think there's a lot to hate in this article. Um, Reverend Ben Johnson really has no, I think, like actually good sort of biblical or theological reasons to think the things he does here. Um, But he sure thinks them that's uh, because of, of people out there, like the multiple studies and office team. Uh, he thinks it to be the case that we need to conduct our business life in a way that might reflect our eternal life.
2: I really feel like this article, okay, in addition to just being dumb in general, is so poorly written that you have to actually reverse engineer an argument out of it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, what is even being said here? So, okay, the the two things that are being implied are that, uh, okay, like you said earlier, suppose Jesus didn't come at midnight, but he came back in the middle of your workday or whatever. Um, okay, like, suppose that. I don't know. Do you think that Jesus is going to be like, oh, you're playing Angry Birds now? I'm so sorry. I should have come, like, an hour earlier when you were working on those reports for Mike, but, like, I'm sorry. This is the time. This is it. So I guess you have to go to hell. Like, what? It doesn't... Like, even as a heuristic device, it's so bizarre and absurd. And the same toward the end, that you your business life should, like, affect your eternal life. I, I really, 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 really don't believe, Uh, you know, at the end when you go chat with St. Peter, at the pearly gates and he's like, I'm so sorry, but like you wasted pretty much half your work week at a shitty job where you got exploited every day. Uh, You can't come in. Uh, This is the kind of thing that definitely lands you in cow heaven.
0: You go straight to cow heaven. You know, we have had a, a few conversations on this podcast about hell, and, you know, sometimes it's kind of a difficult theological concept, but cow heaven something you can get behind, where it exists and people go there for sure. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of like hell, but different, uh, where there you get <laughs> stamped by cows all day because <laughs> you, you ate too many Big Macs.
2: Um, well, our business life affects our eternal life. <laughs> I guess that's what we're saying I in a way. I guess
0: that's what we're saying. Um, or like, or, okay. So say, say, uh, Ben Johnson's right. Um, but like, think about how embarrassing it would be to be like the manager of anything. And then Jesus comes back and Jesus is like, Hey, what have you been up to today? Uh, well, I drank coffee for about 35 minutes and I chastised my workers for not like working hard enough. Uh, and then I asked everyone if they could come in on Saturday. And then I asked them if they could also
2: come in on Sunday. And Jesus would be like wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> uh we've got to have a word um i love one of my favorite things to do in a new group of people is to share stories about time theft uh because i think that's really great oh, time theft's awesome um time theft is so good so i used to work at a christian bookstore i think i've said that on this podcast several times before and uh our boss is always going on about time theft and so time theft if you've never heard of it is when your boss tells you that you shouldn't do anything that's just for you because you're stealing time from the company that they're paying you for uh and my favorite thing was to go to the, like into the bathroom for a very long time and not necessarily do anything but just like collect my own psyche for a moment because it's an extremely taxing uh environment to work in mm-hmm. and uh i loved it because uh if you like si- if you sit in a bathroom for 20 minutes and you come out no one can accuse you of time theft because they don't know if you're taking a dump or not <laughs>
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense um pro tip yeah pro tip that's good uh time theft i don't know it's not something i'm concerned about ever
2: <laughs> i really <laughs> i really want like just an ocean's 11 scheme of time theft oh my i want the ultimate
0: heist yeah that's great i think something that's really interesting though so this is like the media perspective on this a little bit too right because like there's there's a part of this that is um only possible because of the type of labor that people do in 2019 um mm-hmm. you know like the increasingly digitized and specialized types of labor like um so if it is actually the case that the average american wastes 21.8 hours of work a week or whatever um that like might that could actually be a real statistic and i'd probably believe it um but like you know what's really weird about that is i imagine that 21.8 hours is, like, extremely fractalized over the and throughout the day because, like, that's kind of the way that office work is, you know, that's how office work, like, usually happens, you know, where you're, like, you're working on something for a few minutes and, like, you feel like you've completed a task or whatever and now you're going to do something else. You're going to look at Twitter or whatever. And then you're going to go back to doing work and then you're going to go back to looking at Twitter, right? We have to have this, like there, – there's something, like, about the way that office work works uh, or how we perform office work where we have to, like um, – shove little pieces of like cognitive distraction between the things that we're doing because like labor is way more fractalized and our time is uh different than i think it used to be um or even uh, i mean there's a lot a lot more to say about like the way uh work uh expands far beyond an eight hour workday too but still um cognitive labor is such a weird thing to begin with like we should take every opportunity we can to distract ourselves from uh whatever we're doing
2: Yeah, I completely agree. It's also just like the idea that all of your work should be profitable work where you're generating profit for somebody who owns your labor uh, is such a strange idea in general. I mean, we've talked about alienation and work uh, several times in this podcast before. Um, But yeah, like the, the very premise that if you're taking just a few minutes to yourself like you said fractalized over a long period of time such that it adds up to a significant amount of time the idea that that is bad just feels like so morally repugnant to me just on like a basic level like not even just on a christian level but just a a, a, a regular old like this is a a crazy thing for a person to think uh from a moral perspective i guess um just a really bizarre take
0: yeah it totally is a super bizarre
2: take uh well, let me switch this over to another article about work found in the Acton blog by somebody else. Uh, Lori Murrow, Ph.D. She wrote a pretty wild uh, article that I think has some interesting kind of resonances, actually, with the one that we were just looking at. So the title is called CEO OSB, The Rule of St. Benedict Promotes Entrepreneurial Culture. Uh, really bold title. Um, So the premise of this article in broad strokes is basically to say that the rule of St. Benedict is not just like a old dusty thing that Catholic scholars or like some monks care about or whatever, but has some ideas that are useful for entrepreneurship Um, so she says for example organizations adhering to the rule must generate revenue sufficient to cover their operational costs and fund their charitable efforts moreover the rules lack of central planning regarding product selection and production has enabled monasteries over the centuries to adapt remarkably well to changing market conditions expanding diversifying and or reorganizing as necessary i love that Mm -hmm. i love the idea of monasteries as just big huge corporate firms um, long before the term niche market was coined, Benedictines were producing high-quality niche marketed specialty oh goods. Uh, I love, uh, I loved it in in the medieval period when uh, people were just using the equivalent of like Pinterest to find their favorite uh, craft beers. <laughs> um, so this is great. She the like this this actually introduces it, but the real crux of the whole thing centers around this wild company that I didn't know existed. I mean, it doesn't anymore, but I didn't know it was a thing until today. Called LaserMonks.com, uh, which is very funny. Apparently, like some monks were totally outraged by the price of printer cartridges, uh, so they decided to just sell their own uh, for you know little to no profit, um, which is pretty amazing. And she kind of runs this whole argument uh, that she's trying to make about the rule of St. Benedict um, based on lasermonks.com, but it ends up being like super self-defeating. So let me just explain the situation. We'll get into it. So she says uh, the um, lasermonks.com, basically, they like they actually expanded super, super quickly and they made a ton of money, like millions of dollars. So she says lasermonks.com achieved enormous success quickly thanks to a clever concept brilliantly marketed. Suddenly, the six monks and a handful of volunteers found themselves running a $3.5 million business. With a rate of growth beyond the monks' wildest expectations, they were overwhelmed by the need to scale up their business, and more significantly found themselves distracted from the primary reason for joining the monastery, their wish to serve God. The Benedictine way is all about balance, said one former monk. The strain of overwork led to a life out of balance. The monastery soon dwindled from six monks to three, Ultimately, the monks dispersed and the monastery sold all its goods at auction in October 2011. In business terms, Lasermonks.com had grown too fast for its capacity. No, no, No amount of good intentions can overturn the law of economics. So, insanely... In this article that's ostensibly about how the rule of St. Benedict is actually uh, promoting an entrepreneurial culture, she sh- she shares this one example of it happening, but then that example completely implodes on herself, and she just reports on that as though it's completely incidental to anything that she said, uh, and it just blows my mind. So, Lasermonks.com uh apparently at first this example of entrepreneurial culture and uh later a very good example as to why actually the rule of st benedict is probably a really bad way to run your business
0: yeah totally um this is actually really interesting too i mean lasermonks.com whatever that's actually very funny that they're <laughs> selling printer cartridges um but uh that made me think of another example too in Wheel uh back like in february i think there was a really cool article um, called "Taming the Demon: How Desert Monks Put Work in Its Place," and uh, right, right, yeah. Uh, if you guys didn't read it out there, you probably should. Actually, it's really interesting. Um, but there were these like Benedictine monks that lived in the desert, and that's where they started their own web design service, which was like, but uh, it was like in the, <laughs> the mid '90s, so it's especially interesting and fun. Yeah, uh, it was called the Scriptorium. If I remember correctly, <laughs> but like, uh, what's interesting about the article though is that, like, I mean, just exactly what uh, uh, Doctor Lori P. Morrow is saying right here too, actually. But like, this article does it better because it's Commonweal, not the Power Blog. Um, but basically, the point is that like, um, they grew too big, and all of a sudden, like, since they were monks, like, they like had to stop. <laughs> There's even this yeah, part yeah. in the article too that's really interesting, where it's like, um, some of the monks who were like really good at web design. Um, they got taken off of the assignment to do web design because, like, that's part of the Benedictine sort of, like, uh, polity, where if, like, you're too good at something that it could cause you to be boastful, they'll, like, make you stop. Um, you know, like, <laughs> so exactly the good idea for, like, uh, entrepreneurship, like, uh, you're the best people who are really good at something, they're not going to do it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, this article is so wild, too, because she also talks about how uh, one of the monks who was, like, running the operation was paid zero dollars in salary, and, like, the entire premise of the whole operation is that the profitability just gets immediately invested into charitable, non-profitable goals. Uh and it just makes absolutely zero sense because like that's really bad entrepreneurial advice actually. Like take all the capital that you generate and then invest it into things that will do nothing for you is not how entrepreneurship works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so bizarre.
0: Um like uh the the fundamentals of entrepreneurship from the perspective of monks are just like, um don't get too big, don't be cocky and really proud of your work, uh, and also give all your money to somebody else. <laughs> all right (laughs) chill man sounds good i guess but um not what i'd expect not what i would go to a business class and ever hear i'm sure
2: yeah yeah um the reason this especially kind of came to mind after the uh reverend um uh jen bonson article was just this idea that like you know if you if all of your time is just like working for a profit uh and that's like what it means to be holy or whatever um then like in fact uh that's not really how it works in for example even the in institute's own bizarre like complicated plural plurality of voices trying to figure out what to do with like a christian tradition that isn't exactly business friendly but also uh, trying their very, very hardest to shill for Christians in business. Uh, it's just like a very confused think tank.
0: Yeah, it is very confused. Um, hey, speaking of that confusion, um, something that the Act Institute likes to do a lot, and I think just like um, more right-leaning Christians like to do a lot, is... Um, Take all those critiques of capitalism that the left likes to uh, use and explain how they're not actually about capitalism, but they're actually about crony capitalism.
2: Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. The worst of all.
0: Right. So everything you don't like about capitalism is actually um, because capitalism just isn't being done right. I hate those cronies. I hate how the cronies are always out there not doing it right. They're (laughs) messing up our capitalism, you know? So... um, (laughs) In a recent article from April 12th um, in on the Acton Institute Power blog, uh, Michael Matheson Miller writes, does capitalism always become crony? Um, I think this is a really important question because if it always does, then it must be bad, right? It must um, be. Well, guess what? There's a, a not bad one. Um, <laughs> cool. Uh, so this is what uh, Michael Matheson Miller says. One of the critiques of capitalism, from progressives to traditionalist Catholics, is that despite all the talk of free markets, capitalism always ends up in crony capitalism. Supporters of the market economy claim that this is a distortion of capitalism, and it is government intervention that is the culprit. But this can often sound like the socialist who tells us, despite the evidence from the Soviet Union, North Korea, Cuba, and Venezuela, that real socialism hasn't been tried. All the same country, by the way. They're all actually the same one. Um, yep. How, how should we think about the relationship between capitalism and crony capitalism? Is it the case that capitalism always becomes captured by special interests? Or can we create and maintain what Luigi Zingales has called the, you know, oh, you you know him, the great, uh, economist Luigi. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, what Luigi Zingales has called capitalism for the people capitalism that doesn't simply favor the wealthy and well-connected at the expense of everyone else (laughs) capitalism for the people. Uh, That's what they call it there. Um, anyways, I thought this article is worth pointing out because it's a funny, uh, it's a funny reframing or it's a, it's a funny way to bring this like question of crony capitalism to a logical conclusion. Whereas, uh, you know, like, does it always become crony capitalism? Because it seems like it's the case. Um, but uh Luigi Zingales and Michael Matheson Miller think, no, of course not. You could do something different. Capitalism for the people. Um <laughs> we don't it's not clear what that is. Um I don't actually think that's possible to do this. I mean, maybe you could make it a little bit nicer for people sometimes. Um <laughs> but uh but special interests will always capture capitalism because like that's how capitalism makes the I mean it's how you make the most money, like, right? Like that's just the way it works. Capitalism always becomes crony capitalism. Or, I mean, maybe better stated, crony capitalism is just capitalism. <laughs> That's what it looks like when it works right. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's so weird to even be a libertarian and think that there could be a way to design a system that is like that without massive governmental intervention. Like, I don't understand even yeah. how you would do that. Like, if you want to design a system that, that prohibits crony capitalism, what you've done is, like, you know, got, started yourself down the path to, like – uh a regulated economy which is i I imagine what luigi and the gang don't want
2: yeah uh i mean this is why i've always preferred uh luigi's brother mario zingales um the real uh socialism for the people economist uh and then uh, and then his
0: other his other uh nemesis Luigi's zingales who is definitely the <laughs> communist of the group
2: that's right that's right um yeah i love uh king bowser's soviet kingdom um <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh this article is so crazy though because he also goes on to say in here um he says part of the problem is that we've unhinged market economies from any real consideration of morality this applies to the legal but unfair and unjust practice of chronic capitalism in the regulated sectors of the economy uh and then he goes on to sort of talk a little bit more about that but the craziest thing of it is like he kind of admits himself that like he doesn't really have any idea what to do about it he says i'm not suggesting that regulation is the best answer he says that he says it's a complicated topic with no immediate or simple solution uh the commercial society grew out of a certain culture with certain beliefs and standards a lot of what we need to do is reframe how we think about the economy in light of human flourishing and the common good it's like uh, i i don't know if this person has ever talked to rich people Uh, But I don't think that he's going to get a real consideration of morality going in time for capitalism to get away from being a rapacious, uh, horrific force on the planet. It's
0: so weird, though, because it's like, oh, what we need to do. I mean, instead, you know, like it's the opposite of cultural Marxism, right? It's like we need a cultural conservatism (laughs) that will convince people just to be better. And like, what in the world are you talking about? Like, how would that possibly happen? Like, how are you going to launch a social campaign campaign? to like reinstill conservative values in rich people uh good luck
2: yeah i love um i love those like markets that are totally tied to morality those capitalist markets that just are always constantly thinking about the common good um those things really go together like competition uh, i love just friendly competition where where nobody's out to really undercut anybody but they're just all like playing a really fun game and at the end of the day everybody kind of wins yeah
0: exactly that's the best
2: type of competition for sure <laughs> uh yep so does capitalism always become crony uh no it just always stays regular old capitalism (laughs) it's always it's always
0: just capitalism
2: (laughs) all we all we have is the
1: cronies
0: (laughs) okay uh here's one more that i thought um would be interesting to pull out um it's not there's not much to it really um but we'll just talk about it real fast okay yeah so this is from october 2nd 2018 so a little bit dated but still pretty good um this is kind of like a a recap of um or maybe some media criticism about uh Dilinka in Germany uh from uh a journalist or a power blogger named Kai Weiss. <laughs> so um the article title is called "Jesus would have voted socialist," says Germany's left. Um, uh, this one stuck out to me on the power blog because um I agree he probably would have. I mean, Jesus <laughs> wouldn't have voted at all, probably, but like you know whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So Kai Weiss uh, responding to um, D-Linka, uh, who had a sign that said Jesus would have voted socialist. That's kind of like what spurred this on, um, says, well, that's weird. Um, I'm bewildered by this um, because the track record between socialists and uh, religion is extremely bad. Um, Explain this more. Kai Weiss says, uh, what's the track record of socialists and more so the left party on religion? Of course, Karl Marx once uh, noted that religion is the opium of the people, which is bad, since in their view, communism should be the opium. That's not. <laughs> that's not what Marx says. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, Are you sure? Yeah. Um, Marx himself noted that religion is the opium of the people, which is bad, since in their view, communism should be the opium, uh, uh, or uh, by that. Uh, marx means according to kai weiss should be what people believe in not some mystic church of the middle ages i'm sorry not some mystic (laughs) church of the dark ages people are always believing in opium that's the thing about opium is people are believing in it all the time and that's (laughs) definitely what that metaphor meant um kai weiss goes on to say thus the conflict between socialism and the church began quickly a conflict which is continuing to this day when we look at china It was a dominant factor in communist regimes of the 20th century where the despots tried to subordinate the church and eliminate religion once and for all. But again and again, Christianity stood tall. Indeed, it spurred the revolution of conscience in Eastern Europe, especially in Poland, where Pope John Paul II played an instrumental part in the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, There's a lot of things to say about this, but like... (laughs) <laughs> remember all those times when uh communism tried to uh destroy christianity and uh actually just like bolstered it by making it a part of like the central party <laughs> remember when they made a specific uh, place in their society for christians and other religious people yeah exactly
2: <laughs> yeah poland also not looking super great as a counter example these days um yeah i mean like whatever sometimes many times significant times uh communists actually super messed up when it came to christians it's fine totally it's true uh but it is not true that the conflict is really between socialism and christianity per se it's between socialism and the forces of counter-revolution and like you know sometimes uh christians aren't super down with uh actually sharing their stuff
0: (laughs) yeah totally just one more uh one more of these articles that's just like uh you know adding fuel to that fire and like um using a lot of convenient but like um simplified historical examples
2: yeah, one thing that frustrates me about this guy in particular is he ends the article saying the assertion that jesus would have voted for the socialist party and for its you know the legacy of socialism uh for the party which suppressed christianity for decades the party which the church fought against for decades and ultimately peacefully put out of power and the party which normally never talks about anything religious approvingly is nothing but abominable um and I, okay like the history of german socialism is a complicated history and that's fine but like There were actually Christians in uh, communist Germany who supported the communist party. It's like a very long and interesting history that's worth people looking at. And the idea that like the church is just automatically sort of against uh, a social state or has always been against social states just betrays uh, an extremely naive and simplistic understanding of the history of, like, actually existing communism and actually existing Christianity.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, that quote that the article ends with is also frustrating, too, because it doesn't recognize the... I mean, like, okay, so just like you said, the the story of Christianity and communism, as we know in this podcast exceedingly well, is very complicated, and sometimes it's bad. Um, And sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's like, you know, neither, or just, you know, whatever. Um, (laughs) But, like... That that's true, but um, when they say that the assertion, however, that Jesus would have vote would have voted for all of this, um, for the party which suppressed Christianity for deca- decades, the party which the church fought against for decades and ultimately peacefully put out of power, like that is frustrating because while that might have been the position of some uh, communist parties. Um, or socialist parties, or socialist movements, or whatever, I mean, there are plenty of, like, right-wing parties that, um, you know, actively killed Christians in other countries, like, with no problem, right? right? Like, um, so so there are instances in which uh, so, socialist parties and communist parties persecuted Christians because of their reactionary tendencies, but, like, in the West christians and parties that you know support christianity for more or less um had no problem in like indiscriminately killing people of other religions for basically no reason
2: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that's the other crazy thing about this is i mean when people make this argument they never ever exactly what you're saying talk about uh different regimes that are completely welcomed at the table of international capitalism who are like even right now uh murdering and attacking christians like uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil just not too long ago was saying that the church is like one of his biggest enemies. Liberation theology is like extremely bad news. And, you know, he's hanging out with uh, Davos people and uh, whatever like capitalist head of state is happy that Lula isn't presently the president of Brazil. Or like mm-hmm. um, in a place like the Philippines, like Duterte, who's this horrible dictator, is always talking about how bad the church is and how the church is like a big thorn in his side, a huge problem. Uh, but people are still trading with him, sending him you know all the money that he can muster, I guess. Uh, and it's just like crazy that that never registers as a connection between capitalism having reasons to actually oppose Christians who organize and build movements on the premise of their Christianity such that they would feel compelled to say no, you probably shouldn't destroy like the Amazon rainforest in the name of like industry. Uh, the, those two things are, are always separable, but like uh, with socialism, um, these things are always just obviously combined
0: yeah totally it's um it's some really interesting rhetoric that I think is under investigated
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's true uh free paper for anybody who wants to write that i guess <laughs> all right uh so we've been through a lot of acton institute
0: stuff, and um the acton institute is just um it is an just ever flowing stream of Bad content. Um
2: <laughs> You shouldn't read it. You should not right now, do not go look at it. Don't give them any clicks or likes or anything. Don't worry. If there's something exceedingly terrible, we will tell you about I it. I mean,
0: it's so bad you don't even need to read it. Um it would be yeah. you don't even need there's no hot takes you can have about these things. Um
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: other than I guess dunking on them, but whatever. Uh <laughs> but uh to round us out we're gonna we're gonna take a, a side step away from um the to Institute, and toward uh, something a little bit different. So, Dean, do you want to uh, introduce this to us?
2: Yeah, you know, in my research uh, on Christianity and socialism, I'm just always wondering uh, how people think about these things. And I thought, one thing I don't often do is just ask a pastor. And that's something that we've done once or twice on this podcast, and I just thought it would be good to do one more time. And uh, conveniently for me, Pastor Dr. Doctor, pastor Doctor Joel C. Hunter on YouTube has a convenient uh, couple minute video here asking the very question, is Jesus a socialist? Uh, And I think it is probably worth us talking about it just because, you know, he lays out a pretty strong case, um, for his own position here.
1: Brad asks, is Jesus a socialist? I feel he isn't and have been troubled with this debate. Well, I wasn't aware of the debate, but, um, I agree with you. No, Brad, Jesus is not a socialist. Uh, He is just our reason for being very generous. Some people look back to Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, and this is what it says And all those who believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them with all as anyone might have need. Now, of course, they're talking about the first church. Um, and some people would interpret that as a form of socialism. Or they take Jesus' quote to the rich young ruler in Matthew uh, 19.21 where it says, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. As a prescriptive rather than a descriptive passage, that is, saying this is what you have to do rather than just describing what had been done. But he said that to the rich young ruler because he knew riches were a stronghold in this rich young ruler's life and they really had replaced God in his life. That's why the rich young ruler walked away very sorrowful. He didn't do it. Socialism is a form of government where you are forced to share, but Christianity is a faith community where we want to share. So as Christians, we want to love our neighbor and share with the needy in ways that will empower him or her to share with others. But being forced to do so by government is the opposite of being motivated by love. God wants us to be joyful in our giving, not resentful in the government's taking. I am for policies that help the vulnerable and the needy but jesus would want christians to help from faith not force
2: there you have it pastor dr joel c
0: hunter pastor dr joel c hunter has all of the greatest hits of uh why jesus is not a socialist which i mean again jesus like wasn't a socialist but that's not the point um i love i love so much when people are like oh you know the rich young ruler jesus did not mean that thing that he said he meant something different
2: (laughs) yeah i love the rich young ruler thing for two reasons in pastor dr joel hunter's uh words here the first being that uh the criticism is that riches had replaced god in his life uh not a thing that jesus says but secondly, Pastor Dr. Jill C. Hunter will never ever in a million years tell a rich person that he knows that his riches or her riches have replaced God in their life, and uh they should go give them all away if they want to serve God. That's
0: true. Um you know, like a lot of other things probably are um replacing God in that person's life though, like their selfishness or their like um lazy work ethic <laughs> though. Yeah, uh, yeah, not their riches though.
2: That's right uh it's just so crazy to make a story like that for example a completely solely singular story that only had relevance in that one specific circumstance and will never ever have relevance ever again in history
0: yeah it's really cool i love i love how that works out <laughs> i love how Je- it's like it's just so cool to me that like in this instance jesus definitely does not mean that part oh that no 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 that no, no. it's like metaphorically yeah. like you know, in the big picture of his life, his rich, the riches were just kind of filling that God-shaped hole in his life or whatever. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's great that we can do that. That's such a good and fun hermeneutic that makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah. Um, also, he talks about the Acts passage um, describing the early church. Uh, I always love that, too, the idea that this is a, a totally voluntary thing. This goes back to one of the strongest points that Jose Miranda makes in the book Communism in the Bible that we talked about a long time yeah. ago is that uh, many people will admit that the early church has a a voluntary socialism that's practiced, um, but they'll never, for that reason, assume that that could ever be practiced ever again. It's like, whether you like it or not, that is how the early church organized itself. um, And pastors just sort of gloss over that as a a thing completely lost uh, to time and history. Yeah,
0: exactly. And, yeah, totally. Uh, Pastor Dr. Jolsey Hunter, please... Um, don't do this to, to us
2: anymore. Uh, I also love that Pastor Doctor c Hunter says at the beginning that he's not even aware that there's a debate that Jesus is a socialist, <laughs> and then goes on to talk about two arguments that people often have.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I mean, just
0: it's it's good though if he can. J- I mean, that's why he's a doctor and a pastor, right? Because he can kind of yeah make yeah those that's judgments right. right off the cuff. Um, hey, looking at this video has definitely screwed up my YouTube algorithm. Um, now I'm doing <laughs> some really wild videos that they want me to watch. Um. So that's not great. Uh, don't go looking for this video either, or else uh, you know you'll be in the same boat as me. You'll be you'll be getting um, advertisements to watch a video called "This woman woman shot herself, went to hell, and then to heaven, and back to earth," and like <laughs> that could be you. So.
2: Oh no! Why aren't we talking about
0: that? I know. I
2: don't. I don't know why. Um, I want to hear what cow heaven is like.
0: <laughs> well, no, she didn't go to cow heaven. She went to hell.
2: Yeah right. Well, and then I mean, to
0: heaven, but not to cow heaven, yeah. which is kind of suspect. Yeah, yeah. It's a significant hole in the story that she leaves out <laughs> cow heaven from this equation. Uh,
2: I was under the impression that cow heaven for humans essentially uh ends up being hell. For okay, but
0: it's heaven for cows.
2: Yeah, of course, of course, it's heaven for cows. I see. But um, is
0: possible, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, who knows how all this metaphysical stuff works? Not me. No, no, no. Um, no. All I know is that. There is definitely a
0: cow heaven and obviously a people heaven. We can't
2: we, we know that.
0: and there's also a hell, but it could be. are there other animal heavens though too? like uh is there like snake heaven? and like that's also bad for people. We,
2: we know there's not snake heaven, <laughs> but this is in Genesis chapter I don't know <laughs> two or three. Okay.
0: Yeah, good point. um is there like sh- is there shark heaven though?
2: Okay, animals, I know there's a heaven for cows doves doves for sure in heaven um let's see whales because they ate jenna that one time on purpose and that was good so there's definitely a whale heaven um oxen there's a lot of ox in the bible donkeys there's that one talking donkey the talking ass as i left to say when i was a little yeah. kid um, lions right lions die. for sure yeah yeah well lions and lambs are complicated because they're supposed to be in regular heaven uh
0: <laughs> just lying down
2: together Yeah, that's right. I mean, that is kind Um, of...
0: I mean, think about it like that, though. Like, they have to be together in heaven.
2: That's true. Uh, So I guess there is evidence, after all, that all animals do go to heaven. Yeah. Well? Billions and billions of ants. (laughs) Ant heaven sucks. I hate ant heaven. Ant heaven is disgusting. (laughs) uh before we talk a little bit more about animal heaven though i do want to just bring us back to one one very important comment on this video from night muffin 937 <laughs> who says uh jesus is not a socialist he's a liberal didn't he vandalize people's stores in some flea market that's something liberals will do it has one like that's true liberals will do that liberals are always going to the flea market and just messing it all up <laughs> uh i loved when jesus went to the flea market and just vandalized some people's stores he was like doing some graffiti on some some (laughs) shitty camel stand he
0: made a big anarchy sign on someone's american (laughs) flag booth it was a liberal sign sorry it's just a big l for liberal (laughs) it's just something liberals do Uh, i appreciate that that's really great Hey, thanks for listening to the Magnificast. Um, this <laughs> week, we, um, you know, last week we did, no, wait, the week before last week, we did a roundup of all of those things about Christians and socialism uh, from the left, and now we did it for the right, because we do fair and balanced journalism on this podcast. We wanted to get- No spin zone. No spin zone here. We wanted to get all of the perspectives um, for you, our listeners, uh, so you can choose which ones you would like to select as a big marketplace for ideas. Uh, if you like this type of uh, high quality no spin journalism, you can support us at the Magnificast. Uh, oh wait, at Patreon.com/slash The Magnificast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, just at The Magnificast. We got a Facebook group where someone has corrected us about uh, biblical fanfic, and I appreciate that. Um, cool. Uh, there's also the Friendly Fire Retreat coming up, and you should give. Um, you should go tell a rich person they should give all of their money to that uh, retreat, um, and you could also give a few bucks too if you have it. Or not, you know, whatever. Um, cool. Uh, the music, uh, intro music is by Amari Armstrong and outro music is by Theological Spoon. See you next time. get up the church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation, never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no damn between us and
1: our Lord.